Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. You're listening to the Circe Podcast Network. I'm Joshua Gibbs, and this is Proverbial, the podcast where we explore the wisdom of the ages as it comes to us in Proverbs, by which I mean wise sayings a man may live by if he's not so arrogant as to think himself special. Episode 70, On Occasion. Today's proverb comes from William Hazlitt. I'll read it twice. The art of living is to know how to enjoy a little and to endure very much. Once more, the art of living is to know how to enjoy a little and to endure very much. This proverb has four parts though it's easy to miss the first two. It's easy to miss the first two because our minds immediately jump to enjoy a little and endure very much. And we begin solving these little turns of phrase. What does it mean to enjoy a little? Do I enjoy a little? Am I the sort of person who can endure very much and We think back to passages in our lives when we have endured very much or been asked to endure very much, and we wonder how well we did with those struggles. And so we immediately begin remaking the proverb accidentally. We rewrite it. And an hour after first hearing it, we might be inclined to say, when trying to recall it, Uh, The proverb was something like, if you want to be happy, you've got to enjoy a little and endure very much. And so we remake the proverb really into something more modern, 
something more inspirational, some kind of Phil Jackson version of what Hazlitt actually said. The quote is about the art of living, though. And beyond that, the quote is not, the art of living is to enjoy a little and to endure very much. The quote is, the art of living is to know how to enjoy a little and to endure very much. And that know-how is very important because it means you're not going to accidentally enjoy a little and endure very much. You have to know how to do it. So first you've got to agree with the proposition that life asks you to enjoy a little and to endure very much. You've got to agree with that proposition and then you've got to plan out how to do it. And then you've actually got to do it. Enjoy a little and endure very much. So the fact that Hazlitt says that it's necessary that we know how to do this implies that if you don't know how to do it, you will fail to enjoy a little and endure very much. Or that you won't enjoy a little and that your life might be nothing but enduring. And that there won't be anything to punctuate your suffering. There won't be any pleasure or enjoyment to punctuate your suffering. The reason why you've got to plan how to enjoy a little and to endure very much is because if you don't, you will try to do the opposite of what Hazlitt says the art of living is. You will try to endure a little and enjoy very much. And I would be willing to bet that that's what most people claim, reflexively claim, is what makes for a good life. Enduring a little and enjoying a lot. Having very few things that must be suffered, getting it over with as quickly as possible. And then moving on to the enjoyable stuff. And for the enjoyable stuff to constitute the lion's share of your 24-hour days, seven-day weeks, and so forth. But the fact that people say this reflexively means that a life... A life where little is endured and much is enjoyed, that's not an art. No art is necessary to enjoy much and endure little. That's an easy life. That's a pleasant, easy life that takes no skill. It doesn't take any skill to read a paperback novel on a beautiful beach while sipping a Mai Tai. That's not, that's not a skilled endeavor. The skill comes in contenting yourself with not being able to live that way very often. That takes skill. That takes knowledge. To want life to be pleasant most of the time and to summarily get through the suffering parts 
That's what shallow people want. And that's really what shallow people not just want, but they expect life to be. The problem is that the more pleasure you have, the less pleasurable pleasure is. Now, what's interesting about the sort of things that you have to endure is that all those tasks in life, which are painful, unpleasant, disgusting, tend to be more endurable the longer you endure them. The endurable is more endurable the more you endure it. As Tolstoy said, no, Dostoevsky, a human being can get accustomed to anything. It's not a problem if you become accustomed to a hassle. If you learn to find the corners of a hassle and a hassle or a problem isn't vexing, it's something you expect, then problems gradually become easier. I'm thinking of workplace problems, marriage problems, problems with your kids, problems with your house. Like the more you endure them, the easier they get. But the more pleasure you have, the less pleasant it gets. And so you could, I mean, consider this on a small scale first. Roast beef for dinner. Roast beef is pleasant to eat, but you can have so much roast beef that it's no longer pleasant. Roast beef can lose its savor. And if you have too much roast beef on an evening, you can get to such a point where even the idea of taking another bite of roast beef will turn your stomach. But what's true of roast beef on an evening is true of roast beef over the course of a week or a month as well. You can have too much roast beef tonight, but you can have too much roast beef this week. Now, the nature of the too muchness changes, of course. If you have too much roast beef on an evening, you're probably just physically glutted with it. Whereas if you have too much roast beef this week, you just get tired of it. Not everything resets at the end of the day. And even things that reset at the end of the day don't reset all the way. So if you have roast beef for dinner for five nights in a row, you're probably going to be tired of it. You've had too much this week. And you get tired of things because there are things because things are limited, circumscribable. Things have limits. And you come to the limit of your interest in things that have limits. Things are not like people. They're not like God. God has no end. You can't get tired of God. There's always more God to know. And in a lesser sort of way, there's always more to a person to know. 15 years into marriage, hopefully you're asking the sort of questions that get you a surprising answer from time to time. I think I'd been married for like nine years before I found out that my wife really enjoys Will Smith movies. I felt like I knew you. I felt like I knew you so well. 
Will Smith movie, really. But things are not going to surprise you like that. Things have an end. Things are predictable. And so, ultimately, we get bored with things. We get bored with things when we ask too much of them too often. When we're not willing to enjoy a little, but demand that some physical thing, whether it's food or drink or music, when we ask too much of anything and go back to it over and over again and essentially accuse our, our pleasures of being unsatisfying, so unsatisfying that we have to constantly come back to them and pester the things that give us pleasure for more pleasure. Ultimately, you can get not just tired of things that give you pleasure, but you can come to despise them. You can come to hate them. Plenty of people addicted to cigarettes that don't like them. They revolt against them. Wish I could quit, they say. Tried to quit many times. And you can come to despise things that you depend on. Pleasure is less likely to become dangerous and destructive when pleasure is tied to an occasion. And when I say tied to an occasion, I mean a ceremony. Pleasure is safe when it's married to some sort of ceremony or ritual. Once pleasure is unmoored from occasion, it quickly becomes dangerous and it can take over. Because if you're willing to pursue pleasure outside of occasion, outside of ceremony and ritual, you lose a reason to not seek it all the time. When there's a time for pleasure, though, pleasure has limits. And it can be tricky to set limits on pleasure. I know this. But I believe that the most sensible and reasonable limitations to put on pleasure are limits born out of respect for time and place. In other words, occasion. So consider this for a second. Consider alcohol. Think about drinking for a second. Now there are many fascinating proverbs about drinking, about alcohol. But I would submit this to you. There are two rules for drinking, two proverbial rules for drinking that are well-known, well-established, widely agreed upon, regardless of race, gender, ethnicity, religion, I would submit that the most common established rules for drinking are known even by people who don't drink. Or by people who don't know any proverbs. You still probably know the proverbs that govern drinking. So if you want to try this for a second, like pause the show right now and see if you can come up with these. These two rules that everyone agrees upon as being 
the right limitations to put on alcohol. Here's what I think they are. I think everybody knows these. Number one, don't drink alone. Everybody knows that. There are stigmas against drinking alone that everybody knows. That's the first one. And the other one is don't drink before five o'clock. These are the most well-established rules that govern drinking. Now, when you take these two rules together, don't drink alone and don't drink before five, the positive sort of command or rule that comes in obeying these two rules is drink on occasion or drink on occasions. It's interesting, the expression on occasion and what it's come to mean in our society. When you say that you do something occasionally now, it, it actually means you do things not on occasion. Occasionally, or I do that on occasion, is sort of a, a byword or a euphemism for I do it sporadically, every now and again. To say that you do something occasionally is to say I don't really have any sort of formal attachment to that thing, but I don't object to it if I happen to run into it, right? Like if somebody said, uh, if somebody asked you, do you ever eat fried liver and onions? And you said, well, on occasion. If somebody replied, oh, what occasions? You would want to say, well, I don't think you would, like, uh, I don't know, if somebody happens to um, serve it when I happen to come over to their house. And what would that occasion be? Like on Christmas or Easter or, I mean, no, just if I happen to show up at somebody's house and that's what they're serving. We don't really have any respect for occasion, for ceremony, or for ritual. And so the word on occasion or the idea of doing something on occasion just means whenever. Even though occasion and occasion is a very particular time and place where people are gathered together for the commemoration or celebration of some sort of a brilliant or tragic thing that has happened. So if you don't drink alone and you don't drink before five, you're always drinking with other people at some sort of appointed time. Not randomly, not sporadically. And I think that these are, I mean, drinking is one of the premier uh, pleasures. If, I mean, if you were to take a survey of of human beings across the ages. What is pleasant? Drinking is pleasant. That's going to make top five, if not top three. But drinking is also a very dangerous pleasure. Everybody knows that. What are the most dangerous pleasures? Most well-established pleasures, drinking is going to hit the top five. Most dangerous pleasures, drinking is probably number one, which means that you ought to take the sort of proverbial wisdom about drinking rather seriously. So drink when there's a reason a reason which is supplied by other people. And that's going to put limits on the pursuit of pleasure. And it's going to give meaning to it as well. You're drinking for some higher purpose, some sort of celebration, or, as is described in Proverbs 31, to forget your troubles. 
give him strong drink that he might remember his suffering no more. The art of living is to know how to enjoy a little and endure very much. I would say that enjoy a little and endure very much is simply a description of life itself. And I say that not as somebody who is ungrateful for his life. I have many, many things to be thankful for. I am thankful for them. But six days of painful work by the sweat of your brow and one day of rest, that's the ratio. It's a good and fair proportion. It is better than we deserve. It's one of my favorite moments in modern literature when Milton's Adam hears what the curse is going to be. And he, his response to the curse is not glib. God delivers the curse, God departs. And then Adam and Eve go talk to one another. And Eve had been contemplating suicide. Maybe we should just kill ourselves and get it over with so that the curse ends with us. And Adam says, whoa, 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 whoa. I gotta tell you, I was actually expecting something far worse. I mean, think about it for a second. Pain and childbearing, work by the sweat of your breath. I think we got away easy here. I was expecting grotesque, wretched misery. But things are still okay. I'm not saying it's not going to be tough, but it could have been way worse. Six days of work and one day of rest is a ratio which survives the fall. And, you know, you could almost imagine that less rest would be part of the curse. Well, six days of work and one day of rest before, now it's going to be like 13 days of work and one day of rest. But the ratio remains the same. The art of living is about reconciling yourself to the proportions of labor and leisure that are ingrained into the world. Six days of work and one day of rest is not just the ratio that's arbitrarily determined by God, it's determined as being what's best for us. And that if you try to work more than that, or you try to work less than that, you're going to fall out of the existential rhythms that govern reality. You're going to be working against the stars. You're going to defy the cosmos. You're going to position yourself contrary to existence itself. So the, the art of living, then, is about seeing reality, judging reality, understanding the portion of suffering that is yours, that is every man's, and not trying to get away easy. The art of living 
is about reconciliation with life. That life is something really more grand than you want it to be. Life itself is more baroque, it's more Rococo, it's weirder than you want it to be. And then if you had your way, it would be ease all the time. You would create some sort of unlivable, unsustainable, ultimately deleterious plan. But reality itself follows God. And if you posture your life and contour your life to reality itself, you will follow God inevitably. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.